This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Uh, uh, what they think they would do, present a specific plan. If they think that somehow their advisors are better than the chairman of my Joint Chiefs of Staff, WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. Folks want to pop off, pop off. Yes, yes, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. I have some interesting breaking news for you at this very moment, guys. Guess what it is? What? I am not hungover. Happy Kwanzaa. (laughs) So, if you were wondering what I've been doing this this over the past weekend, I've been in an intense playoff series in NBA 2K16 with my creative player, Freck, where I dropped 57 points on the Los Angeles Clippers, and they were mad that I beat them. So you know what they did? They turned off my Xbox. And when I had nothing else to do, do you know what I did? I said, hey... I'm going to go to the movies. Do you know what I watched, Jackie? It doesn't matter what I watched, Jackie. Selena, I watched The Hunger Games. And let me tell you something funny about The Last Hunger Games. Uh, don't I, spoil it, though. I'm going to be really mad you if you Did you not read the books, bro? I did. Was did that you know? your explanation for watching The Hunger Games? You had to give that, like, macho intro to why you... No, you I, think, right I think there's a point coming to this that Guys, I, I want to hear. If you see me flexing my muscles, it's because Jackie's a loser. <laughs> As I was saying, if you read the books, there's no way I can spoil it for you because you read so the, oh my and sorry <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that off air about people like you spoiled it I read all the books but you spoiled everything oh, but anyways guys I watched Hunger Games and the movie wasn't that good because the last book honestly was not that good it was actually more frustrating than anything else but in the beginning of the book they fast forward to about two hundred pages into the last book in which someone has a gun to Katniss's head and he she's like he's like give me one reason why I shouldn't kill you. And then she goes, I don't have a reason. And then she starts talking all this stuff about war and how I'm killing you and you're killing me. And neither one of us has a reason to kill each other. We have one common enemy. You know who that enemy is? Chipotle's E. coli outbreak. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is serious. I am devastated. (laughs) I'm scared to walk into Chipotle. It's ruining my life I had Chipotle Friday night. It was fine. I did not get sick. Listen, you were black black last week and now you're a white woman. That Chipotle did something. (laughs) No, but... um. It was the Popeyes. But, but the, the point of the movie was that, like, you know, they were so deep into this war, they didn't even know what they were fighting for. And the Hunger Games book and movie, I would assume, what it does more than anything else, because if you read the book, you know what happens at the end. It shows you just how much war damages and hurts you, how deep war goes into changing who you are as a person, how it can scar you for life. And one of the things they said is, you know, right now we'll have peace and hopefully this will be a long lasting peace. But people are stupid and they're fickle and they have short term memory. So we probably won't be peaceful for too much longer until someone else finds another reason to go to war and attack another country or another land and start a battle. And I said to myself, wow, this is really similar to something that's happening right now. I feel like this is the same person who was talking to President Obama or maybe to all of us when we pulled out our troops from Iraq. 
allegedly. And what we said to ourselves was we were never going to get into another war like Iraq again because we got nothing out of it. There was no clear enemy. There was no clear reason to be there. And the only thing we know for sure is that over 100,000 Iraqis died and over 5,000 soldiers died. And we have over 500 veterans committing suicide every single year, which is about two hours, two one one person per two hours. And we said, we cannot do this. But then all of a sudden, we left Iraq, and then the Islamic State started to come up, and they started popping off, like Barack Obama said, about two minutes ago. And they were killing people, and they were taking over territory. And people were saying these things were happening because we took our troops off of the ground so we can no longer keep Iraq stable. So all of a sudden, the Iraqi Middle Eastern Hunger Games had begun once again. So you had ISIS versus the Iraqis versus the Kurds. But then in Syria... Right down the block from Iraq, you had this psychotic president, forgive me for saying it, but that's how I put it, who was attacking his own people, who was killing his own people, and pretty much committing genocide. And all of a sudden, the people who said that we don't need to go to war anymore because we lost enough lives were looking at President Barack J. Kwan, Hussein Obama, who was in his office working on his mixtape, and they said, you need to put troops on the ground and fight this guy in Syria and dethrone him. What did J. Kwan say? He said, listen... We've been to war. We lost plenty of lives. We dethroned one dictator. Look what it got us in Iraq. I don't want to go through the same process again. But no one cared. They said we got to do something. And while all of this was happening, while all this pontification and these talking points and these elections and these politicians were doing what they do best, which is scaring people and spreading Islamophobia or not being strong enough to stand up and say this is wrong, ISIS was expanding. They started off beheading people in the Middle East. They started off just sending out threatening letters and maybe tweeting at some people to get some kids to join their private Facebook group. And then when Americans who were just, I don't know what they were, started coming over to the Middle East to try and join them, America tried to stop them. And then when it started happening in other places, we weren't paying much attention. And then all of a sudden, one day, when all of us were wrapped up in our own private worlds, we were still pontificating, we were still having these silent conversations, we were still slightly remembering what war felt like, but quickly forgetting. ISIS attacks Paris. And now, there's blood on everyone's hands because over a hundred people are dead and even more are injured and we know for a fact that it was ISIS who did it and all those refugees who are in Syria who want to come to Europe and to America and all these places in the world to escape their terrors all of a sudden Americans are saying hey we don't want you here because you might be dangerous and we find ourselves once again at that point where our stupidity our fickleness our racism and our bloodlust puts us at the brink of war again. And this is where it leads the four of us in the studio today as we talk about the crisis in ICE, with ISIS in Syria. So, guys, sorry. Go ahead, Selena. I'm sorry. I just want to say really quickly, great intro. Uh, Stanley, guys, if you're listening and you want to call in, the phone lines are now open. The number is 212-650-6903. Again, that's 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. I mean, you know what? When we think about that timeline and effects and how everything's happening, it just seems like it's just one big cycle, and it's like, even though we were all tired of war, it's like so many people are just beating that drumbeat once again. And, of course, our politicians are respect, uh, excuse me, responding um, to that. Right. right. No, I mean, listen, I think Stanley kind of touched upon it. It really goes back to the vacuum, the power vacuum that was caused in Iraq when Saddam was deposed. And, you know, Saddam was uh, an awful autocrat who was, you know, had very 
you know, did very bad things to his people. At the same time, he was able to kind of hold and coalesce power there. We've done several shows about that in the past, and I'll direct you to those shows because I don't think that we want to spend a lot of time going back on that. But, you know, at the same time, we have to be really careful about getting into a military uh skirmish, I'll call it, uh, in this neck of the woods or this region of the world. I was actually reading an article, which if you're watching the video, you may see here on the table. It was written by a guy named Nick Patton. He, uh, Nick Patton Walsh, he's a former military guy. And he writes that there's um, no military, no easy military answer uh, for five reasons um, uh, that I hope we can get into you know, as part of this conversation. But we can't just say, oh, let's put boots on the ground and that's going to solve everything because at the end of the day, it's not. We've tried that in Iraq. We've tried that in Afghanistan and it doesn't really work that way. Alyssa, thank you so much for um, kind of like shifting the conversation in the direction that I would like to take it. So before we go there, the question will be for you guys in here and for the listeners, should we put boots on the ground in the Middle East to take on ISIS head on? Because as you know, since their um, terrorists attacked Paris, Paris has been blasting them. Russia has been blasting them. We have been blasting them. But some people are saying that it is not enough and we need to put boots on the ground. So that will be the first question for you guys. Before we go there, we do have a caller on the air. His name is Derek. Derek, let your voice be heard. Yeah, this is Derek. And uh, yes, I have been donating to the station for over 20 years. You know, of course, on a different name. Um, you have covered, you know, in your inter- beautiful introduction, you know, great much of what I was getting ready to say. It's just that I really feel there's some missing pieces to this here. And um, it's this here quicksand like quagmire that the United States has been pulled into by covering up the dirty hands of Israel. And I know I might, you know, you might disagree with me, but we have to look at this honestly. They have, they have been owned up to the millions, billions of dollars that our taxpayers have been giving them, you know, and they have been playing, playing fair with their neighbors over there. And now many of us is caught into a whole bunch of stuff. I'm an, ex, I'm an ex-Marine, you know. I'm a veteran. My son's in the Marines now, you know. I don't want them be getting involved in stuff that... Um, these people are just concocting and body bags is coming over here and we left to not even address the real culprits behind all this. Thank you so much for that, Derek. I do want to um, just push back a little bit on this. So feel how you may feel about Israel, but I don't think it's fair to put the blame or the onus on them for this situation on them at all. It wasn't Israel who pushed America to invade Iraq. It wasn't Israel who came out with the plan to leave Iraq. It wasn't Israel who created ISIS. Actually, it was President George W. Bush who made us invade Iraq on the false premise that we had weapons of mass destruction. It was the U.S. Armed Forces who trained a lot of these what they thought were moderate um, Islam um, activists. And that's where a lot of these people came from in ISIS. It was also the Iraqi government, which was so which treated their people so poorly that they helped to create some of the unrest that led some of the the um the up aged men to leave and then join ISIS. And it was a a, a a combination of different contributions from different countries: the U.S. absolutely, Russia, France, Saudi Arabia, and all these other places who helped fund ISIS. ISIS is not something that just happened out of nowhere or because Israel is there and exists. It happened because we all made it. Alyssa? Right. No, and I just also wanted to point out that there's a lot of different religious groups that are all, or religious sects of different types of Muslims living in that area that don't get along. You have Sunni Arabs, you have the Shias, you have the Kurds, um, you have the um, uh, 
forces that Assad backs, that the name escapes me at the moment. On top of that, you have all the moderates. um, And then you have al-Qaeda, which is a totally different group than ISIS. And al-Qaeda actually, I'll give you an example, right? So after the Paris attacks, al-Qaeda carried out this attack in Mali. They're saying that they are responsible for that. And the difference in, I was watching in um, MSNBC and they had somebody on who was a former CIA intelligence guy. And he said the big difference is that while ISIS is like, let's attack the West and do terrorist attacks to scare the Western countries um, because we're mad about certain things, Al Qaeda is like, no, we're going to go to Mali. Why are we going to go to Mali? We're making a political consideration because of the fact that f- the French sent actual troops into Mali. Mm-hmm. Um, so they say that the difference really between the two groups and this divide is that al-Qaeda is trying to do terrorist attacks that have some kind of political attachment to them, whereas ISIS ISIS is just a bunch of nihilists, essentially, that want to spread terror uh, to everybody else because they're not happy with the fact that, you know, we live secular lives. So there's definitely also that kind of divide going on there between those groups that makes things really complicated. Alyssa, that is so spot on. And also, al-Qaeda, al-Qaeda, I always get it wrong, they are are making these attacks because they want weapons. Western nations out of their land. That is their goal. That's something that Osama bin Laden said a lot. We don't want you here. Get out. We are going to make things very difficult for you until you leave. Whereas ISIS is like, come to the Middle East so we can fight and we're going to kill all of you. But that's besides the point. What I do want to have happen now is shift back to the question is, do we need to put boots on the ground? Because you heard what Derek said. He doesn't want his son out there. But Al-Qaeda is attacking people because they don't want Americans there. And ISIS is attacking people because they want us to come down there and start a war. Doesn't make sense to, to give into that. Selena? I'm not sure putting more boots on the ground is the correct answer. I know that President Obama is currently trying to uh, form a coalition with Russia as well with France to stop ISIS and they will come together as three nations. But I think that what we I think the best way to go about this would be through education. And the reason why I say this is because the reason why uh, ISIS even attacked and, and, and radical Islamists even attacked France two times this year is because of all of the social unrest that's going on in France right now. The Muslim community there still feels oppressed. And I think that it's up to us to educate and to get to young, influential Muslim men and boys and youth before ISIS does. The thing is, when you have this sort of like melting pot of different oppressing factors going on and you don't have access to jobs, you don't have fair access to education and upward mobility, people are scouting out for any source of hope, just like they do in Chicago, just like they do in New York City, when you have all these young people looking to gang and gang members to offer them resources. So I think that the best answer would be, is always diplomatic, and I think that we need to work on educating and getting resources to some of these communities so that ISIS can stop recruiting them. Jackie? Yeah, I don't know if boots on the ground, more boots on the ground is the right answer. I mean, I, I really don't know. I don't know. I, I tend to say no because I, I see people who I know, some of whom I know much better than others, who are now young veterans my age who have fought in, or a little bit older, who have fought in Afghanistan and Iraq, and I see the effect on that the effect of that experience on their lives and how devastating that can be. So I'm a little hesitant to say, yeah, just put more boots on the ground because those boots are filled with young people fighting lives. I mean, I'm going to go with a staunch no. Um, And the reason is similar. You guys touched upon it. But when people say let's put boots on the ground, like they're like, oh, yeah, let's just put boots on the ground. They don't. 
Like, they don't make the connection to what that really means. That means sending our sons and our daughters, and who are 18 to 21 years old, because, right. like, that's military age, into the Middle East with equipment and with guns and letting them shoot it out with a bunch of people that don't care whether they live or whether they die. Uh, that's hence why I called them nihilists at the beginning of the show. So I, you know, and then it also means having to care for these veterans when they come back home, have to get them health care, jobs, which is something we talked about at length last week. And you should definitely check out our veterans show if you missed it last weekend. Um, you know, I think if there was a, ever a time where we maybe could have intervened and put boots on the ground, it was probably in 2012 before ISIS when uh, the rebellion in Syria was pretty moderate and the Assad regime was not supported so strongly by Iran and Russia. But things are different now than they were in 2012. And now we have ISIS. And, you know, if like I just think our time for that has passed um, and I'm not against potentially doing airstrikes and special operations forces, but I just don't think that for us it's the time to put thousands and thousands of ground troops on the ground. And I don't think that we want to pay for what we have to pay for when they come back. And we're already seeing that going on now that we don't want to pay for what we have to pay for now that people have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan. So I'm going to go with absolutely no. If you are just tuning in, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. We are talking about the crisis in Syria, Middle East, and the ISIS attacks. If you have a question, comment, or concern, you can give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. Alyssa? Yeah, before you change gears, I wanted to mention, you know, rather than putting ground troops in, I think if we want to do anything, uh, like specifically in that region right now, aside from what we're already doing, we really need to ramp up the pressure on Turkey. Because the reason why so many people are coming in and out of Syria is because the Turkish border is porous. Turkey is not doing enough to stop people from flooding in and out of Syria. So unless the border between northern Syria and Turkey is actually sealed, then ISIS can continue to resupply itself with new people, with new with supplies, weapons, food, etc. Um, so, you know, there's been talk of building a 900 kilometer, which is 560 mile fence uh, across the border. And, you know, maybe we can have a debate about whether we should actually build a wall or whether that's worth it. But the fact is, we need to ramp up the pressure on Turkey to shut that border down, because the best way to choke off ISIS is to choke off their supply line. And that's the border with Turkey. Thank you so much, Alyssa. So now, guys, we are going on a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue this question of boots on the ground and start talking about the Syrian refugees who, whether we like it or not, are coming to this country. And Monte keep it on him, he done dropped me. And we be wildin', he some hiding. Tones known to get busy with me. Try to run down and you could catch Running through these checks till I pass. Eating chicken. Oh, God. Sipping handy with some apple juice on the floor. Okay. I watch Hunger Games. Mm. We go into war. Obama said that the Republicans can pop off. Pop off. Obama, <laughs> I'm yours. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard I on can't. 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And Stanley's the Black Adele. I am the Black Adele. Stop it. Just stop that I, right now. All right, Selena, you are a racist and a bully and a all small right. person. You're just not Adele. So, guys, as I was saying, we are back on the show. And if you are just tuning in, we are here with Jackie, mother of a Cohen, hey. Alyssa, mother of Fuchs, and Selena. It was her birthday the other day. 
day she turned eight years old, she is now old enough to go to the fourth grade. I don't and of want course, my cake the for one. my birthday. I want my cake every day. Every day. Every day. Oh. Every day. And in case you are wondering, this is Stanley, beautiful, heavenly hair, candy eyes, Hennessy sipping Fritz, and I'm looking for brunch. And if you want to help me get my brunch and then come to the radio show, please donate $30, 30 for 30. WHCR is 30 years old, and we appreciate your support, but we especially appreciate the support when you call in and give us money. Speaking of callers, we have a caller on the air. Oh, perfect. It is my BFF, my Biffle. She holds it down. She keeps it real because she's a real G, and she's not down for none of this BS y'all putting out here. This is Miss Deborah. Hold it down, Miss <laughs> D. Hi, everybody. Hi, Miss Deborah. Listen, I don't think that anybody should put boots on the ground. You know, I heard a soldier the other day, or a veteran, rather, and he said, you know, like, we're not boots. We're people. Right. You know, and it's like, you know, why don't you just take some boots? You know, the Republicans should just take some boots, fly them over, and drop them on the ground. <laughs> these are people's <laughs> children that you're talking about. Right. You know, these are the same people that you didn't, you hid the casket, you didn't want anybody to see them. You know, now the same president is someplace painting pictures, and nobody is holding him accountable for anything. I thought that when I heard about the, the, the Paris bombing, I thought you would have thought that the president of the United States had gone over there and dropped the bombs on the people. I swear to God, the way they talked about this president, it was criminal. It was criminal. And I don't see anybody who calls up saying, I would be more than happy to send my children over there. I don't hear anybody saying that. Right, right. And he's really trying to reason with you, and then they keep calling him a coward. It's not cowardly to stand there and look at a bunch of idiots and try to reason with them. No, I totally agree. I don't think it's cowardly at all. I, 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 don't, I don't even understand. I, I don't even understand, first of all, why we would go over there. Now, the other side to it is, I am a little leery about the Syrian issue. I am. Because, I mean, you know, there have been times that people over in Africa and in Haiti needed help, and nobody came to their aid like this. I still want to know what happened to all the money in Haiti that the Red Cross was supposed to give. Oh, my goodness, Miss Deborah, She's on fire. <laughs> all right, guys. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that was an awesome comment. Thank you so much, Miss Deborah, for calling in. <laughs> Selena's <laughs> Sorry. Um, so face is ridiculous right now. Stanley, that was Miss just... Deborah who just dropped a bomb of information on us, and we really appreciated that. No one intended. Um, I wanted to put. I wanted to like highlight a couple of things that Miss Deborah said. She is absolutely right. We do not need to be putting boots on the ground. And the same people who are saying we need to put boots on the ground are the same ones who said that we needed to go to Iraq to liberate people and to collect weapons of mass destruction. The only weapon of mass destruction that we found in Iraq was a George Bush war plan. So and but, and well, to be fair, they found those degraded chemical weapons, but they were. Years later. But that wasn't the weapons that we went there looking right, for. Let's right. be clear: the people on the right that turn around are like, "But they found ma- weapons of mass destruction. They found chemical weapons." Well, we were told that we were going there to look for nukes, not that we were going there to look for chemical weapons that were already partially degraded, that were in fact found and did in fact hurt our troops. But that's not the pretense for yeah. why we were there. I digress, yes. Stanley. So, (laughs) 
But like we're talking about bombs now. We're talking about the bomb that um Ms. Deborah dropped of information. We really appreciate her calling in. But I wanted to shift gears just a little bit because when we talk about these conflicts, a lot of times people ask, why is this even happening? Because people don't understand it. Well, one presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, likes to believe that one of the biggest causes for the crisis that we have in the Middle East is climate change. And what he said in the debate was that um, one of the moderators pushed back on him. They said that he called climate change the biggest concern f- for the U.S. at this moment. And he says, do you still think it's that that's the same thing after ISIS attacked Paris? And he said, absolutely, yes. And a lot of people said that he was crazy because of why would the fact that maybe it's 65 degrees in November in New York be the reason that we should be afraid for our lives when, I don't know, ISIS just put out a new mixtape threatening New York. And we want to answer that question for you guys today. So I know, um, Melissa, Jackie, Selena, you guys have so much to say about this, but I'm not going to allow you to say anything. Okay. <laughs> All right, fine, Melissa, you can say something. Yeah, no, I think he's right, Sanders, to call it a security issue. Um, and the Pentagon's been saying that, too, because they say that global warming has the potential to aggravate tensions, um, existing security problems, and make things worse because of droughts and shortages of water. Um, so I would agree with that. But I don't think... I'll push back on Bernie for a second because mm-hmm. I don't think it was right to say that it was directly related. Sure, I think it's indirectly related. Um, I definitely think that environmental factors figure into the story. Um, the Fertile Crescent region, which is where this is going on, has experienced long periods of drought. Uh, this global warming appears to have increased these long periods of drought. And from 2007, Syria did, in fact, suffer from an ex- especially brutal drought. Um, So when you combine that with other social and geopolitical factors, it does help to foster civil unrest. But I wouldn't call it directly related. I would say it's indirectly related and it's definitely a factor. I would push back just a little bit on that. And I would say your information is definitely um, on point. But I just want to add one more factor to that. And that other factor is that this is an environmental justice issue. And what that means is we know what environmentalism is, but environmental justice is when low-income communities, people of color, or underrepresented communities are disproportionately affected by it. So what happened with this drought is that it affected a lot of the farmland in Syria, which forced more people to come to the urbanized area. And because it was the longest drought in Syrian history, Assad did a very poor job of redistributing and managing the water, which then forced additional like frustrations from people who now we had a, a large unemployment rate. That's where some of the uprising and the outcries against Assad came and in his reaction to that was brute force. Right. I don't disagree with that. What I'm saying is that severe drought in and of itself is not enough to trigger a civil war. It, it takes into account other factors that I mentioned. I mean, if, if a drought in and of itself was enough to trigger a civil war, then there would be a civil war going on in California right now. There's not. So that's what I was saying by the fact that we have to take into account geopolitical factors. You're right. Assad was not able to manage this when people got into the cities. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just to say drought in and of itself can cause a civil war doesn't seem to no, no, make no. sense to me. But I think the part that you're missing is that when they spoke out, Assad's reaction. Go ahead, Jackie. Right. But I, I think that even if that wasn't a direct factor here, per se, I do think that it's something that in the future we need to be aware of, right? Because if we're going to be depleting our resources and water is, you know, an essential resource, let's be real here. Um, like, we've all seen Mad Max. Like, we know what can happen if, you know, what if we're all being starved of water and food. Um, tensions can arise and war can break out. I mean, it's like basic humanity being like stripped from people. So I think that while it may or may not have been a direct factor here in this particular case, it's something that I could easily see being a factor um, in conflicts in the future. Thank you so much for that, Jackie. So we do have another caller on the air. This is Brother Omar from the Big Mango. He's holding down in the streets as always. Brother Omar? 
Yes, oh, and thank you so much. You know, uh, I want to wish everyone, if I can, a happy Thanksgiving. And this is a very, it's a subject that's very depressing about this war. And then another thing, Stanley, you forgot to mention another name, City College on Colin Powell. When he went in front of the United Nations and it took up two hours of, of our time listening to this bullshit about how Saddam Hussein was involved with that, he sold the war because Bush Cheney, a lot of these people were saying, listen, you guys were never even in the service. But when Powell went in front of the United Nations, not only did he sell the war, but he doomed his own political career. And as far as boots on the ground, I, I believe that the next war is going to be about water and about uh, the the uh, global environment. Right here in America, California, uh, the New Mexico, Arizona, all of those states, uh, Nevada, that, uh, in the next five years, if this drought continues, those states are going to be desert. So the next, the major wars are going to be about war. And the last, I mean, about water, rather. And, and, and the last time America, uh, that I can remember, won a war with boots on the ground winning, they went into Grenada. That, that strategy is way, way, way past done. That ship has sailed. We have to find other solutions. When you say people are willing to die, they're not willing to die. They're willing to give their life for a cause, not because. And that's the difference. And we as Americans sitting back listening to all of this garbage that they're selling us, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Okay? And that's the bottom line. Damn, brother. Oh thank my. you so You're lucky much. I couldn't wow. get my bomb prepped up for your comments. But thank you so <laughs> much for saying everything that you said because you were 135% spot on. If you guys have a question or a concern or a good comment like Brother Omar's or, or Brother Derek's or Miss Deborah's, you can give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that's 212-650-6903. I want to shift gears because Brother Omar makes a lot of really good points about what's going on in um, California with the droughts and you know like what our next wars are going to be. But right now, the biggest issue that we have on on the table besides possibly putting boots on the ground in ISIS are the refugees. There are over 200,000 refugees coming from Syria who have been terrorized by ISIS that need homes. And after the attack in Paris, we have had over 20 state governors say out loud on the record they refuse to take in any refugees. Selena? That is an abomination. Some of them are even calling for a religious litmus test in order to allow these refugees to come in here. They're saying that we should exclude Muslim refugees and only let in the Christians. And Mm. I just think that this goes against our principles so much. And not only are these legislators and these Republican candidates saying this, but Fox News. There was this one... um, pundit who supposedly did a poll and he was like well most people don't want to let in muslim um muslim people from syria and i'm like this is ridiculous this is against our constitution it's against our bill of rights and this is against the principles of america of a democracy first of all the vetting process to even let in a syrian refugee is so extensive it usually goes on for 18 to 24 months that's two years these people are running from isis and it still takes them two years just to find safety this is ridiculous. Selena, I want to push back just a little bit. It actually takes four years. Four years. And only 2% of Syrian refugees admitted to America like are actually male and, over, and of military age. Most of them are children and people who are older. Jackie? Yeah, and I mean, I think something that people forget when talking about this issue, number one, you know, this like Christian 
litmus test. I could not pass that, right? <laughs> if I needed to come, because I am not Christian, I'm a Jew. Um, and there was a there was an article that came out, I think, last week that showed polling numbers um, how about how Americans felt about Jewish refugees coming into the country in the 30s and 40s, and most of them were very much against it. They didn't trust it. They didn't think that it was our responsibility to take in Jews. Um, and so that's sort of what we're facing now. And I think something to remember, and you know, and this is certainly something that I bring up when I talk to family who don't support bringing in Syrian refugees, that's is that amazing. it's not, you know, the, the um, ISIS isn't just attacking Westerners, right? The biggest population of people that have been killed by ISIS at this point are Muslims. 90%. And yeah, and they're fleeing that, right? And so, especially for me and my family, as Jews that fled, not necessarily um, German oppression and the Nazis, but pogroms in Russia, um, they should understand that it's a very similar, you know, there's very clear differences between the two. But at the end of the day, these are people fleeing for their lives, fleeing to protect their families um, and to find safety. And I think that we need to do something about it. I mean, I want to start off by saying that the Syrian passport that they found was a faked passport that was made by somebody who was a French national. And the reason for it was so that they would get people to start fear mongering, because what they want is for people to be very Islamophobic. This way, Muslims turn around and say, wait, we don't want to be a part of these people people, we want to join ISIS instead. So the reaction that they're getting from the American right is the exact reaction that ISIS wants. That aside, coming back to the question of how difficult it is to get into this country as a refugee, first let's understand who's coming. More than half of the refugees are children and a quarter of them are elderly. So we're talking about kids and old people, okay? And of the adults that are coming, most of them are either moms or couples that are coming with children. Now, let's talk for half a second or maybe a little longer about the actual process. The refugee screening process has multiple layers. I speak about this as somebody who is not an immigration attorney, but does know a fair amount of things about immigration attorneys. Um, and I did do a little bit of research on this this issue yesterday. First, you do not get to choose what country you get resettled into. Sure, if you have family here in the U.S., then you may get a priority to come here. But generally speaking, when you're a refugee, you don't get a choice. Instead, the UNHCR, which is the United Nations Commission on Refugees, works with the local authorities to try and figure out where you're going to go. Second off, resettlement in the U.S. directly is a really long process. Um, it is jointly administered by the Bureau of Population and Refugees, the Department of State, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Homeland Security and USCIS, which is the Immigration Services. First off, we evaluate refugees on a three-tier system. We grant three levels of priority. The first priority are people who are suffering from compelling persecutions, uh, who have no other solutions. Uh, two is people who are special concern. These are persons who come from uh, places that we've identified like the Soviet Union and Cuba, so that doesn't apply here. And third priorities are relatives of refugees. So I already kind of mentioned that. Once you are listed in a priority, first, each refugee has to undergo extensive interviews, screenings, and security clearance that is conducted by the regional refugee coordinators and oversee refugee support centers. Just because somebody falls into this first three priority doesn't mean they actually are guaranteed admission. And then after they go through all of those steps, they have to get conditionally accepted. They have to do a medical exam. They have to pass all their security checks. And there's actually more screening of refugees than ever happens to anybody who gets on an airplane. So these calls for additional screening, additional screening, additional screening is ridiculous as yeah. far as I'm concerned because the level of screening that already exists is like so multi-layered and I just gave you the basics and there are so many more details to it. It is not easy to come here as a refugee. No, you're absolutely right. Listen, thank you so much for that little bit, for that piece of, those pieces of information that someone who's worked in immigration when I was working in city council, she's not lying and it's also expensive. 
So there's also that part that people have not been talking about. And a fun fact that some six of the states where they've refused to, they quote unquote refused to take in refugees have not had a Syrian refugee come to that state in, in since 2012. It's not even an issue for them. Mm. So th- this is a manufactured crisis. This is manufactured anger. We should be very clear about that. So, guys, we do have to start wrapping things up, unfortunately. But what I want to do is still five minutes away from the news roundup so we can kind of, like, finally, like, finally unpack the rest of this conversation. And what I think is very important for us, for us to talk about in this next step is the rampant amount of Islamophobia coming from people who yeah. are running for office. Donald Trump, in particular, who is saying now that he wants to shut down mosques, that he wants to put, give certain identifications to Muslim people, and he has a lot of support. Has he not read the Constitution? How does like how does that Probably kind of like behavior not. make you feel? And I guess we'll go with Selena first because I know you've been very upset about this. Yeah, and and I pretty much expressed um, everything, uh, but because again the vetting process is very long. It's wrong. It's against our constitutions, against our principles. Can I bring something up really quickly? Absolutely. Because right now in France and in Belgium, they're having a debate that we've been having here in the states for the past few years, and that's civil liberties versus versus security. Now there's actually been a lot of talk about the French people feeling very unsafe but still not willing to give up their civil liberties and I'm telling you it's a, it's the same conversation we've been having here and I know there's been a lot of contrast I noticed his final statements and I just or it's not the final statement Stanley so I think we'll just, just go to Jackie and then we'll go to Alyssa well, so what we were talking about were like some of the comments that these elected officials were making in regards to like the um to the Syrian refugees Oh, okay. Did you just want to finish your comment, your thought? Well, yeah, I just wanted to say that when it comes to the psyche and how we're reacting to terrorism, I think that there's always a fine line between um, our civil liberties and our security yeah. here. And again, we'll probably hear this from elected officials. They're, they're the ones who want to, un- unfortunately, um, want to ramp up all of, you know, different security measures. And I mean, that's going to be a continued debate among them and amongst the 2016 candidates, too. So. No, I agree. I agree. And I wish we would have had time during this conversation to get more into having that discussion about the uh, Patriot Act and the renewal and about security issues. Unfortunately, we didn't. But um, as to the question that you're asking, I mean, when I heard these comments coming from Donald Trump about a database, I automatically started having Holocaust flashbacks. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is exactly what Hitler did in, you know, pre-war 1939 Germany, which is they started registering Jews and making Jewish people walk around with stars of David so you could identify who the Jews are. I mean, when you hear those words, and especially as somebody who's Jewish, I automatically um, think that that's very concerning. And the fact that there has not been, that so many people in this country are like, yeah, and they're like cheering it on. One, it's it's antithetical to our constitution. It goes against every, you know, idea of like freedom of religion. We have people freaking out about wars on Christmas over red cups and Christmas displays and yet you want to strip people of their religious rights and make them register in databases so that's like so preposterous to me it's incredible but just the fact that you know like it sounds like we're heading back towards rounding up people and putting them in internment camps like we did during you know World, World War II, two. after been, they bombed, uh, you know, and that's Hiroshima. just, it's absurd. It's been one of the, the things that you look back in American history and say that's disgusting. And so somebody should stand up to the Donald Trumps and of the world and, you know, the other Republican candidates that believe that and say that's disgusting, you're disgusting, and that should disqualify you from running for office. Jackie? Yeah, I think, um, Stanley, you mentioned before that people have a short-term memory, and I think that in this particular case, it's true in the sense that um, there's a lot of... 
Islamophobia. There's a lot of fear of Islam because ISIS identifies as Muslim, even though it's been argued by other Muslims that their interpretation of Islam is like completely off. Um, regardless, right? Like Alyssa said, um, when we feared Japan and we feared the Japanese, we interned thousands of Japanese Americans into camps, into essentially concentration camps until we could figure out how we felt about them. Um, and, you know, while we all sort of acknowledge that as reprehensible now, it's essentially what a lot of people are calling for with Muslims today. And I think that ultimately what we can do is stand by our Muslim friends or Muslim coworkers um, because this is going to be a hard time for them, I think, in this country because they're going to experience a lot of racism and Islamophobia, um, which is completely unacceptable. Yeah, and it's exactly what ISIS wants, to be honest. So, guys, we do have to wrap up this conversation. I'm going to give some closing statements because I like to talk a lot, and I want you guys to know that my voice is the last one you will hear on this conversation, at least. So they define crazy as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. One of the great things about America is that we don't do the same things over and over again, or at least we say we don't do the same things over and over again. We are the land of innovation. We come up with new ideas, we accept all people, and we want everyone in this place to have opportunity, except for when it comes to African Americans. Then we want them to be slaves, or we want Jim Crow laws, or we want them to not walk around the streets because they make us nervous, or when it comes to women because we don't want them to vote, and we don't want them to have opinions. And then we'll fight to the end to finally give women equal rights, but then be mad about it. Or when it comes to, apparently, people of Muslim faith. Because even though everyone is equal and everyone has a right to be here and we need religious freedom, we cannot give Muslim people their own religious freedom. So what do we do? Instead of this innovation, instead of this opportunity, instead of this love, we repeat the mistakes of the past. Because we think that the Japanese internment camps were a bad idea until we're scared again. And we think that segregating somebody because of their religion was a bad idea when they did it to us in, in England, which is why a whole bunch of people on Mayflower came over here. But it's a good idea when we're afraid of a brown person because they might blow up in front of us. And we think that we're innovative, but we don't have to be innovative with anybody. So what happens is we keep on repeating these same cycles of oppression and racism and of xenophobia and of Islamophobia. And the only place it will lead us to is destruction because the only thing that can really have power over our hearts and our minds and our countries is fear. And if ISIS wants to take over America, if ISIS wants to crush Western civilization, all they have to do is instill fear. And in fear will bring out ignorance and hatred and war. Congratulations, ISIS. You're winning. So, guys, we'll be right back after this quick break. When we return, it'll be the news roundup. Let's think about the amount of power that this, these group of thugs, more or less, have over the American people.